Hi guys, welcome back. My name is Sander Deer and you're listening to Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you the best of the business. This podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. This episode is one of a series and make sure to go to the website of agilitymasters.com in order to subscribe to the newsletter and stay up to date with the latest guest speakers, future giveaways or any other inspiring news. And speaking of giveaways, this week Karsten Lutzen, our newest guest working at the Lego Group has set us up with this massive, huge Apollo 5 rocket Lego set. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm I'm actually quite jealous that I can't win this, this set myself. I want it. I need it, but unfortunately, as I'm the host, I gotta be ethical here and leave it up to you to to snatch this thing. It's up for grabs. Go to the website of masteringagility.org, not .com.org. Go to the giveaways page and see what you gotta do to win this awesome set. Now for Karsten himself, I always really enjoy the content that he posts on his LinkedIn page, on his YouTube channel, where he discusses liberating structures, icebreakers, keeping things light and playful, and I guess that's where he really connects to the Lego group. I'm really curious how his mindset and his desire to make an impact combines with working at the Lego group. Now let's welcome Karsten to this episode of Mastering Agility. Uh, I'm, I'm doing quite fine. Um, I'm busy with work, but that's a positive thing, I guess. I guess, not, not sure. And not feeling that much uh, Corona blues at the moment because we can start to get into the office again. So that's really, really nice. Have you ever worked with your uh, colleagues before in, in a physical way? Have you seen them? Yes, I have. How was the experience I... for not seeing them in the, in the meanwhile? How, how did it affect you? I, I think it changes some dynamics, right? The clever scrum masters and agile coaches in this time period actually took the time to 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 revisit some of the working agreements in the teams, right? To to root out some of the things that were not working because now we have a new reality with people being online, and I actually truly believe that that this working from home has has been able to to move a lot of positive things as well for teams. I know that a lot of people have been struggling also with this and uh, not seeing people, but at least in the teams I've been part of, we have done quite a lot trying to like socialize, still having quizzes and uh, dad jokes and, and whatnot um, to make sure that people didn't feel alone. And then also meet up for walks outside, for instance. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great way to still keep engaged and, and to have the energy up. Hey, one of the things yep. that I noticed... Uh, and it kind of relates to this as well. On your LinkedIn profile, it says that you're a playful Scrum Master. Now, outside of the idea that I've never seen anyone mention that they're a serious uh, Scrum Master, what is a playful Scrum Master to you? Or Agile Coach, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, to me, it's 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 many things. Maybe, maybe the most precise characteristics is one I got from one of my co-workers is, was that yeah, Carsten, you're never in doubt when you're at the office, right? Because there's just uh, more background noise. Because I, I always try to have people uh, find something funny or send some stupid links. And I also have people that uh, simply don't click on the links because they have no clue if it leads them to the dark side of the interweb. So just uh, some cute kittens. Um, but just this keeping it keeping it fun because it's it doesn't need to be that serious all the time. 
And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of dad jokes. So I also do them, make them quite a lot and come with stupid puns in meetings. Again, just to take some edge out of a, out of the entire thing. And, and that just, I, at least to me, it creates a more open atmosphere where people just uh, are more free and, and dare speak up. Did you, have, did you ever get into one of those situations where people were like, What are you talking about, man? What's this? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, on several occasions, right? Also, some, sometimes my frame of reference is different from others. And that is especially true if, if you're having multiple cultures. Um, some things is okay to say if it's only Danish people. But something is not okay to say if, if you have Americans or, or Brits or in. In people from India, right? So they are just you. You need to be a bit aware of who is who is in the receiving end of this, and and that takes some adjustments from time to time. But worst case, if if you offend somebody, you you reach out to them afterwards and try to explain that what what was the rationale, what was the reasoning, and that there was nothing personal, right? No, exactly. What is one of those typical Danish things that you can say with Danish people, but not with? I don't know, Americans or Indians or any other folk. I at at least in 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 general um you can say a lot of things uh, below the belt um with as as stupid stupid puns a lot of the Danish jokes are centered around that especially newer ones from stand-up comedians but but some of them doesn't translate that well um but that's maybe also half of the fun Um, <laughs> just to poke people around a little bit yes and that kind of triggers me to, into thinking what we did with one of my, with one of my teams is do you know slack has has a dad joke option yes so we started the daily scrum with um, from the top of my head she was Finnish from finland and she had this this really good way of delivering dad jokes, dad jokes in the most horrible and yet funny way. So we always started the daily scrum with this just to break the atmosphere. And indeed, like yeah. you said, it, it makes the atmosphere just that bit more light. Yes. I can also recommend ending with a dad joke. So end the meeting on a high because it changes the perception of the meeting, right? Uh, if everybody goes laughing or just thinking, Oh my God, that was stupid. Um, Because then they then they leave the meeting with a smile and and um, just happier after the meeting and will also have more happy recollection of of those meetings. Feels a bit more relaxed. Yes. Do you feel the overall state of of business is too serious? Since I work at the Lego Group, which is a toy company, at least from where I'm sitting, no. Um, so we spend quite a lot of time on. Actually, being playful—it's—it's it's part of our core, uh, also our, our product, right? So, for me, business is not—it's not, it's not uh, too serious or too. Uh, if it is, then I'll—I'll I'll try to change it. That is uh, kind of uh, what I do, uh, for better or worse. Do you guys play around with Legos just in the office too? Um, so we we use uh, Lego bricks on on different occasions, right? So we often do team building, for instance. So buy a big Lego set and have that standing at a table in the office, and then if you need a break, you can just go there and and uh, build. So we have built uh, the big uh, Millennium Falcon or Hogwarts Castle and and so on. Oh, that's it's, amazing. 
Yeah, and then then you can just stand and and chat with the the other team members and put on a few bricks. And of course, being the person I am, I often do uh, obvious to me at least mistakes just to uh, mess with people, right? And then they will realize it uh, five pages later. <laughs> well, something that I always have when building something is that, at least with my son or with my wife, that I get really fanatical on this i want to build this specific thing and then my son makes it kind of a race like who can build the fastest who makes the who completes the pages fastest is this something that you guys do too is or is it just me specifically and um, so we we use we use the products for different things right one is of course in in it right if you're building a website or some apis or whatever services right you can feel a bit detached from the product. That's why it's quite important for us to actually have products in the office um, so you still feel this playful atmosphere. And then, for instance, with the robotics like uh, Spike Prime or Lego Mindstorms, we uh, we also do... You, you can program them both in, in the app and uh, with Python. So we do uh, robot challenges uh, trying to, to pick up. And, and that is, of course, a race ride. Um, and then there is like there is Lego Foundation have made this these six brick challenges, which only require six Duplo bricks, and they are awesome as as either energizers in meetings or doing small little games or memory games or going out to a school and and use forty five minutes on showing how you can use just six Duplo bricks to create awesome things. <laughs> That's so cool. How do you yep. guys do you guys use those moments to collect feedback on certain sets as well? Like is this something that works? How do you, how does Lego see if a set resonates with the people that buy it and check it and for instance the app or or a castle like Hogwarts? To to be honest, that's not my strong side because I don't sit in that part of the organization, but I know that that of course there is a rigorous process for actually uh, testing market fit. But to be honest, I, I don't know the specifics there. All right. Fair enough. What's the coolest product that you've been uh, working on? The coolest? So it depends on who you're asking. I think the, the coolest product I have, I, I, I only worked as a Scrum Master or Agile Coach, but that was on the Spike Prime and Lego Mindstorms uh, it's just, uh, I, I really love that because it also helps young kids get inspired and and learn how to code. And it starts out with Scratch and then moves into the more advanced Python if you want to. And you can do some amazing stuff with it. Um, and then I've also worked on some small, parentheses, stupid little uh, web services, right, that to the outside didn't do much, but it was just super fun to 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 hack something together right in a, in a fast fashion and then uh, see it working uh, for some years and then it got discontinued, but that was awesome also. So it, there is quite a lot of different things, right, depending on who you ask. The hacking stuff, is that something that you guys, I don't know if it just for you as a team or just for Lego uh, in itself, uh, but do you guys actively, for instance, have a hackathon or work on these separate projects just to see what comes out of it? My, my mantra is always, I want to work on the things that makes the most business value. So for me, it doesn't need to be the most tricky thing or the most academically challenging. As long as there is a clear customer, a clear um, 
a clear value proposition, then then I, I love to work on it if it makes a difference. Uh, and and this part about hackathons and stuff like that, there is there is quite a lot of different initiatives. But again, it some of it, a lot of it is also uh, up to the given uh, team or department how they do that. Why is it important to you that it makes a difference? If for me, it's super. One of the reasons why I work where I work is because I really buy into the mission and the value proposition. Um, And I really want to make a difference, whether that is, for instance, as a scrum master, helping a team improve how they do backlog uh, refinement or how they do planning or whatever it is, right? I can see an immediate change. I don't build anything just to be put on a shelf, whether it was a piece of software when I was a developer or as an agile coach, something at a definition of done being written in a in a wiki somewhere, never being read again. I want to to create stuff that are used and that people value. Um, that that is uh, why I I breathe, so to say, and that's also why one of my passion points at the moment is very much how do I um, develop uh, individuals and and help them improve because if. I've had focus on teams for some years and now I'm also starting to figure out so and learn how can I make sure that the individuals also develop, not just the teams, but if we have somebody um, that needs just a, a gentle notching in one in a direction, how can I help that person uh, in that direction in the best way? Do you feel the separate individuals in a scrum team make a Lego set altogether? Like is a scrum team a Lego set? You you could say that, right? But but then again, uh, build, the Lego building experience is by definition quite sequential, and a scrum team is is not uh, the best. The best teams I have uh, either seen or being part of that is you. If you stand on the outside, you it can just seem like a magical cloud of something, right? But on the inside, everybody knows what people are doing and they're coordinating all the time. They don't need to wait for a stand-up or a status meeting or whatever we call it, right? Everybody is is in some magical way all, all aligned on this shared purpose. And I think that is that is quite the best place to be, either as an agile coach, scrum master, developer, product owner, whatever. Makes sense. What you mentioned before, like a Lego set is a little bit more of a, a, a step, a step-based approach. Um, if I look at my son working with his Legos, he doesn't follow the book. He just builds. So that's why I was asking you the question. All these separate blocks contribute to the goal that my son has in mind. Hmm? Without following a specific step, he just goes with the flow and then creates something that whatever just pops into his mind. What's your perspective on the whole idea that we follow these steps just in order to have to to have this specific thing in mind? Or do you feel that we should be more open to any kind of perception that we um, learn along the way? I think there are two, it depends, that's the worst answer, right? But also I think the most correct in this one. So it depends on what are we trying to achieve. I, I really like this uh, double diamond model, for instance. So if if we are faced with a new problem, right, 
then we probably need to brainstorm a lot and just go crazy and try to to uh, to figure out what is what is it actually that we're trying to to solve what what problems can we see and then figure out what is the primary problem to th- to look at here and when we know what that problem is then we can start to figure out how can we build it and that also sometimes includes uh, creating prototypes right so trying to for instance put lego bricks uh, in different uh, arrangements and and in different uh, constellations and figure out yeah that did not work um, and then at one point we'll probably converge around a, a, a good solution um, for a specific problem but it's it's very context specific right and and depending on what time um, what time of uh, of this is uh, cycle or this model we are in and does require um for, for this mindset to really live in an organization it does require for your team to have a safe to fail environment yes how do you create this as a playful scrum master as a playful agile coach how do you create a safe to fail environment I think some of this is, of course, also the role of of, of the, the leadership to make to reiterate that this is safe to fail. But it's also role modeling, right? So if I make a mistake, I will not try to hide it in the corner. I will um, try to own it and and share that I did this. Don't do that. So one of my my key examples is. Um, at one point, we were super stressed in the team I was part of, and we had not managed to finish our sprint backlog. So we thought, yeah, let's uh, just uh, prolong the sprint with uh, one week, and then uh, we'll be done. But that honestly just made everything worse, right? Because then all of a sudden, the two-week cadence were offset by one, and we still did not manage to actually finish that sprint backlog. And we had to replan uh, all the meetings because now the cadence had shifted, and it was just a world of pain. And, and we were just like, yeah. We're not going to do that again. It seemed like a brilliant idea in the moment, but nope. Isn't it funny how it seems that people think about if we set this sprint just a little week longer, then we're able to finish it. While it doesn't change the time that you have. I mean, 15 working days is still 15 working days. So it doesn't matter if you have a week longer. You you would get the same amount done. Um, if you yeah. have two separate sprints, what's your ideal situation in that? Like, what, what, how do you deal with this? My, 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 what I've learned the hard way is the best way of actually doing of of fixing or whatever we call it that problem is to be frank and say, so we still end the sprint uh, this specific day, a Friday or Wednesday or whatever, right? And then look at the backlog. Yeah, we did not manage to finish what we had set out to do. And then look, why is that? What did we do instead? Because deep down, I don't believe anybody was slacking off or not doing their best. But the interesting part is, what did we do instead and why did we do it? Because often it's it's a technical debt being mitigated that was maybe overlooked in planning or some stakeholders had a burning desire for something. Um, and then f- for the, the Good Samaritans, right, just, just went and fixed it Um to, to help the stakeholders not being blocked or whatever, right? It, it can have, it can be many things, but, but to be honest, I, I don't believe it was because people didn't do their best because I'm positive that everybody does their best in the team. That's something that, um, to me, at least in my experience, has come to life a bit more when working with the Scrum framework. While this is never really explicitly mentioned 
um, anywhere in the scrum guide that people don't mean to mess up. Where do you think this, this sense of blame comes from when working with more traditional methods? The sense of blame often comes from how we reward, reward people, right? With a promotion or a salary increase. There you need to show uh, successes and results and stuff like that. And, and successes and results are often not failures. Also, given the names, right? So you're not rewarded for, for failing big time. You're rewarded for a success. You're rewarded for, for, for great, uh, great achievement and stuff like that. And that's also why you see some, some scrum teams ending up doing some kind of a watermelon reporting where everything looks green on the outside. But once you uh, start to dig in, you realize it's blood red all over the place, right? But they're simply too scared to actually say what's going on. So they just try to keep up this facade. And yeah, that's not a that's not great. <laughs> what does success mean to you? Success to me is 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 probably a composite of, of of several things. So one thing is, I want to on a personal level, I want to be happy um, when I work. I want to make a difference. And as an agile coach, the difference I can make is to people and teams. It's probably not that visible to the end users but if i have uh, happy happy co-workers happy happy teams uh, showing up and, and working then i think that was a success but still we can of course have a super happy team only playing mario kart but not delivering value so it it also needs to have the other side right where we can see see some traction and see some value being delivered and then making sure that when things go well it's not my success as a scrum master or agile coach it's actually the team that gets all the all the limelight. Um, I'm sometimes I'm sometimes told that I I work in the shadows because I'm I might be a bit invisible if I'm if I'm not actively uh, facilitating the team, but I'm always lurking out there uh, out somewhere and trying to help people uh, remove uh, roadblocks they have not yet seen um, to help them not get stuck. You're kind of like the dark knight. But that, that's that's a different discussion in itself. Like, how do you make these things tangible? I mean, most organizations, yep. especially maybe, I don't know if you're working for Lego organization itself or that you're uh, contracted there, but especially when you're contracted through an agency, you're more under an or under, uh, under a microscope to really actively show what you're doing, what the impact is that you have. And now from a Scrum Master perspective, this becomes a lot harder and an agile coach because you can't yep. really say, hey, this is my part. I've done this, especially when we transfer this back to your uh, example that you just set. How do you make this discussion, especially when you say, I want to make a difference? How do you quantify difference? I'm I'm quite privileged, right? So I'm a permanent employee. But um, at one point, I was told by my manager that I know that you're doing a lot of stuff, and I can see it because I'm close to the team. But people outside the team, they have no clue what you're doing, um, because it might just seem that, as I said, I I've been told that the office is rarely quiet when I'm near, right? So at at the outside, it might seem that when I get in in the office. I just uh, do a lot of uh, stuff that completely uh, ruins the focus time for everybody and they deliver nothing. Where 
in fact, there is a, a deeper meaning of it. I want there, if there's completely quiet in an office, um, then the, it's super difficult to be the first one that speaks out, breaking this silence. But we want the developers, we want the team members at all points in time to communicate right with each other. And if it's completely quiet, then it's super difficult for people to actually uh, speak up. And and that is why one of the reasons why I, I often try to have some kind of dialogue, either work-related or not work-related, depending, going to make it easier for other people to, to start to talk. Um, and that is one of the things that you can then afterwards say, so this was actually some of the cultural things that I was working on, and that's quite visible and also audible, right, um, to listen into. And the same with... Um, with retrospectives and focus point, these improvement points on how do we how do we improve? That is also one way where you can help visualize um, that yes, we have actually spent some effort here, and I help the team um, in in this process and help them uh, cash in some of the improvement. And then the manager comes in and says, "Yeah, that's fun and all, but what does help mean? How can I see that you've helped?" Yeah. And and that that is that is one of the classical things, right? And that's also where I like the old product um, product manager analogy. Uh, I think it fits well also for scrum masters, agile coaches, whatever. It it's a bit like um, oil in an in an engine. You you can run without oil for some time, but tensions start to build up. Um, and the same with a scrum master or whatever we call that person, right? You can have team running without that focus, but at one point, tensions will start to, to, to build and gears will start to grind. And that is not the best way and that's not the most productive. So in the short term, it might be fine, but on the longer, longer term, um, we will start to, to have decreased performance. And also some of the questions that a Scrum Master and Agile coach can ask, you can also ask that to management. So... Um, this with the how what is our level uh, quality level of quality and, and 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 stuff like that that's also a bit more tangible than just this uh, servant leadership i like the analogy of being the oil in the engine and between the gears i'm definitely going to steal that in my next uh, appraisal interview <laughs> nope how do you see the innovation coming to life in in a foreseeable future with within Legos? Um, I mean, you've had throughout the years, you've had so many different sets, and and now becoming with more with the digital part with the laptop and and Python and what you mentioned before. There are so many different things already tried. What's next? Uh, as I said, I, I'm not in that part of the business, so I honestly don't know. Still wanted to poke because I like Legos. I want to know what's coming. Yep. And I can imagine that there are quite some people listening that like the Lego organization in itself and would really like to work there. What does it take to work at Lego organization and how can we get there? First, first stop is uh, visiting the jobs page, and there is quite a lot of jobs um, open in in a lot of um, in a lot of the offices. And the second part is, I, I get asked quite a lot. So uh, I've seen this job posting. How should I apply? And the first thing is to check out the Lego brand framework. I know a lot of companies have brand frameworks. 
and they're just like written and nobody really believes them but but to be honest to me at least the we i really use the lego brand framework i really align with the mission uh, and the values and the these promises that's also one of the reasons why i'm i'm still employed there after almost six years and because i really like this focus on fun and creativity and learning and quality um it's it's just a big part of who I am. I think quality is one of those things that makes Lego stand out to any any other competition um, in the sense of building bricks. I saw this this video uh, clip on YouTube um, earlier this week, I think, where you have this pneumatic device, this hydraulic pressure device that that squishes anything that people want to see being squished, and they put a Lego brick in there. And it could take about 1,300 kilos of pressure before it ultimately breaks. So that I guess that's also very justifiable um, when you see these examples of Lego blocks being in your path like a minefield. So I like the but, quality drive. But one, one of the fun things about quality is also I worked with a brilliant PO at one point in time on on a, on a product for schools, right? And she was very said on that you the developers also had to go into the classroom and and see how the product is used because if when you see kids crying right because the the product did not work that is a big motivational factor for actually fixing it and then the next time see the joy um, that these kids show when when they've built something for the first time or programmed a robot for the first time and it's just it it's super super awesome it's it's one of the best feelings right i can imagine yeah it doesn't coming back to the to the job part doesn't matter where you're from um do you have to work in denmark where where do we need to be so there is a uh, honestly go go to the job site because there is a lot of hops and offices around uh, around the globe that have uh, different uh, open positions and uh, i I'm. I can only speak for myself, right? But I. I absolutely love my job. I'm super privileged. Yeah, I can imagine. You seem like a really good. Um, what's the word? Uh, ambassador for the Lego Group. And I see this with your your YouTube videos as well. That you. I come across them mostly on LinkedIn, to be honest. Um, but mm-hmm. I see. I see the joy just oozing out of you when you're showing a new liberating structure again, and how to use it. What's in it for you? Why are you sharing all these things? So there are, there are several reasonings uh, reasons to this. One thing is I want to push myself to learn new stuff. It also goes back to the brain framework, right, with learning. So if I, I always publish a, a video per week, so I need to have something new every week. It, might, it, it doesn't have to be groundbreaking or revolutionary or super theoretical. It just has to be something I can make a video of. And that's one part of it. So to push myself, the other part of it is actually that it opens up a lot of doors. So for instance, being able to talk to you and a lot of other really great persons, I would not have um, connected with that many people if it was not for these videos. And people also ask me, so why are you doing them? Why are you just putting them out there for free? Again, it's this caring part. I can help people um, find new ways and then when i've gotten some messages with people that uh, had had uh, 
some job interviews for a position at some company and then they have used my uh, some techniques that I had shown and they just wanted to say thanks and I was just like score that was the best feeling ah that must be amazing what's the what's the most resonating thing with you uh, when it comes to the story what what's the story that stuck out to most of you that 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 is the these ones that uh, that uh, use some of the materials for for getting a job i think that was that was all the hard work from my side uh, well well spent or well um, well used where can people find you where can people find your videos um you can find me as you also mentioned on linkedin but i also have a, a youtube channel just called my name super creative right but um there i i have all my videos because when i've had a check in with people or a coaching session or just a, a plain a plain mentoring session right then i can if we have talked about um uh, four l's or whatever right they probably might not remember everything that I've said. Then I can just send them a video because I know that the guy on the video probably says some somewhat the same thing. Uh, and then it helps them internalize some of these things. Cool. Hey, as a last question, what's the most inspiring book that you've read so far? And it can't be the booklet of one of the Lego kids. The most inspiring book... Mm, that's that's actually a quite a good question. So one one book that I like quite a lot is this um, is is the Zombie Scrum book. Uh, just because I could unfortunately see some of the teams I uh, worked in uh, <laughs> reflected in this one, and but also this uh, team mastery book again with this playful element team mastery book by jeff watts we have these uh, tear out cards milestone cards for a team I, I really like that we can then have the team pose with this card that today we had our first document and we didn't die and, <laughs> and stuff like that yeah, these books are amazing and it's funny that you mentioned the zombie scrum thing specifically because at the time of the recording uh, and it's now tuesday the 20th of april i just today released the episode of this podcast with Johannes Chateau and Christian Verweis, the authors of the, uh, the the zombie scrum book. All right. And I, I and, and truth be told, I might be biased because I reviewed some of the content in the zombie scrum book. Um, but it's just, I, I really like it. I really like the, the use of liberating structures. It's super, super clever. Does it resonate extra with you because of the playful factor to it i mean it's not one of those really super serious management kind of style books that you usually have it has just that off of an approach we were i've been quite lucky to to attend a session with the with the liberators i know johannes is not one of those but the way that they facilitate this playfulness and being completely transparent about what they're doing so uh, if they have a if if they're unsure in what direction to go, they either ask the crowd or just talk to each other openly, not like whispering in the corner, and and that kind of honesty and transparency and that that's super awesome. And the same with the scrum, uh, zombie scrum book. It's it's super honest in in what it does, uh, and I like it. It's 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 a great book. Isn't it funny that the honesty and the openness is the outstanding factor where as a scrum masters would like to see this being the norm. Apparently yes. we drifted so far off that 
this has become the norm these days not being open but but again without opening an entire new discussion right you can always uh, (laughs) argue what does agile actually mean these days does it have any meaning left i feel that's going to be a pandora's box if you go into that question exactly (laughs) but that's some food for thought for the listeners at least speaking of the listeners and this is going to be my last question for I can imagine for those who are not on the more northern European part and they see your name, how do you pronounce your name? So I often just uh, say Karsten Lutzen, but I also have a middle name, Grønbjerg. So I sometimes joke with, back to that joke, that my, my name is a character set test because I both have the Danish Ø, which is uh, an O with a line in, but also the the U, the U with the two dots on top. The umlaut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one so more time. Full out. Carsten Lützen. Carsten Grönbjerg Lützen. All right. People listening. Now you know. Carsten, mm. thank you very much for being here. It was a pleasure. And, and super fun. And also mind-boggling. In what way? So, so, for instance, a favorite book, that's uh, always difficult, right? It, it depends a bit on in what mood you're in. That's very much true. I like these kind of questions. Just food for your thought after this show. Think about what the best advice that anyone has ever given you. Except don't eat the yellow snow. And with that, we have a very nice show. Thank you very much, Karsten. I would like to thank our guest and you, the listener, for joining us again in this episode of Mastering Agility. This podcast is part of a series, so make sure to follow us on all the platforms that we provide. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, you name it. Make sure to go to the website of agilitymasters.com to subscribe to the newsletter in order to stay up to date on the latest information. Check out the show notes and how you can engage with our guests and myself to provide feedback, ask questions, um, more general inquiries, whatever. I would love to hear from you. Next week, we have another amazing episode lined up, so make sure to tune in again. Until then. <laughs>